Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. All the actors who are playing these roles for the first time are seated together. We all barely know one another. And oftentimes, you do these table reads for these people, and they say, that one doesn't work. And right. they recap. Right. They, people lose their jobs. And somehow you're just excited. That's nice. Yeah. I guess you're just not Jewish. You're really, you don't have a Jewish <laughs> gene in your body, darling. This is Hello, Isaac, my podcast about the idea of success and how failure affects it. I'm Isaac Mizrahi. And in this episode, I talk to Tony Award winner and modern family star, Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Let's get into it. Jesse Tyler Ferguson is a fascinating guy because at the same time that he's a huge TV star, he's also a big Broadway and stage star. And the two are quite different. And I'm not sure what he likes better. And I want to talk to him a little bit about that. The reason I absolutely adore him is because I've known him for so long, him and his adorable, darling, sweet husband named Justin Makita. I was at their wedding. How about that? Okay. But <laughs> let's get back to Jesse. You know, sometimes when you get very famous, it's hard to keep this intense human perspective. And it's hard to be friends with people other than your immediate, immediate inner group. And every time I see Jesse, he is so friendly and so amiable and so darling. I have to say, not only is he an amazing actor on so many levels, but he's great at a lot of things, especially cooking. I think he loves eating more than he loves acting. I mean it. He likes eating and he loves to cook. But I think especially he's just good at being a human being and listening and being a friend. So let's sit down and talk to Jesse Tyler Ferguson. 
Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Hi, Hi darling. <laughs> you know, first of all, you look cute. I'm not kidding. Your <laughs> hair looks good. And I like that shirt. Is that like Jack Purse or something? What is it? I think it's Rag and Bone, actually. It looks good on you, really. I it's mean definitely it. a shirt I stole from Mark. Family. <laughs> yeah. um, so listen, I'm going to start us off with this question that I sometimes pose to people. Uh, surprise me, darling. Tell me something surprising about you. For instance, what do you think about at night before you fall asleep or something? Or what would you be other than, you know, who you are? Can you think of something off the top of your head? I'm terrible at technology. And I'm fortunate to be married to someone who's 10 years younger than me who helps me with all that. Me too. Um, just really bad at it. In fact, one of the reasons I was five minutes late to this phone call is like every step of the way, I was like, oh, I don't know how to do that. Oh, I right. don't know how to do that or that or that. And I guess it's not that surprising that someone who's approaching 50 is terrible at technology. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, as it gets more and more sophisticated, I get worse and worse at it. And I keep thinking to myself, well, guess what? I'm just not going to do it. If I can't figure out how to do this, they're going to have to deal with the fact that I am having an hour off today. Yeah. I'm not kidding. I get very nasty about it. Yeah. Because it's horrible. It's really hard to deal with. I get so frustrated with my parents. I'm obviously the person who has helped them out with things. Mm. I can't even imagine what they must be thinking right now now. Like, I'm starting a podcast myself. I don't know how my family's going to listen to it. I don't right. know how to explain it to them. <laughs> You're going to just have to go there and perform the whole thing for them. That's right. That's right. So wait a minute. So Tyler's a middle name, right? Yeah, there was already a Jesse Ferguson in the union. Ah, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, and that is a working actor, darling. Let's take our hats yeah. off to Jesse Ferguson. He's still working. He's still paying his dues, and he's still I working. I hope so. I hope so. I wish the best for Jesse Ferguson. I've never met him. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what his credits are. You know what? If I was really great at podcasting, I would get my phone out and go, guess who we have on the other line? Yeah. The other Jesse Ferguson. Now, darling, so tell me about how you got started. You are not yeah. from New York or Los Angeles. New Mexico. New Mexico, come mm -hmm. on. Yes. What brought you to this illustrious career? Like, where'd you go first, New York or LA? I went to New York. I was a theater kid. I was that kid growing up who wasn't listening to Madonna in the 80s, wasn't listening to Prince and Boy George. I was listening to Phantom of the Opera and wow. Les Miserables and Evita and Miss Saigon in my bedroom in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I was right. obsessed with musical wow. theater. And when I was a junior in high school, I went on this trip with my local community theater, the Albuquerque Civic Light Opera. Mm -hmm. And they did an annual trip to New York. And now having been a performer in New York, I know what these trips are. It's the bus of older set of blue hairs that come in for the matinee mm -hmm. shows and the group tours. And, and so I was part of one of those tours. I was the youngest on this trip by... 30 years. Wow, that is hilarious. So like, all these like old people and this one like gay, how old? 15-year-old? Yes, oh, that exactly is right. crazy. Isn't that fabulous? Yeah, that's fabulous, Jesse. And that is really good. I was in the French program and we had a French exchange student stay with us for the entire summer. Um, my parents could either pay for me to go to France for a summer to stay with them, because, you know, it was an exchange program. Mm -hmm. We hosted it one summer. I, would, I could go to them the next summer, or I could go to New York City for, like, six days. Now, of course, in hindsight, I'd be like, we'll take the trip to France for a I month. don't know, darling. I'm not so sure about that. But I had never been to New York. Of and course I just knew not. 
I wanted to go. So me as a you know 16 year old kid, I said I, I choose New York, and I went with this group of older mostly ladies. And we saw something like six shows in four days. You know, you'd see a matinee and an evening. And of course, it was like all the big touristy things like Phantom of the Opera. We saw the oh, revival Guys and Dolls with Nathan Lane and oh, Faith. Oh my Lane. God. And I think there was like a tour at Radio City Music Hall as well. And I played hooky from that. And I went to go see instead a show that I had seen on the Tony Awards, like the 1993 Tony Awards at home that I was obsessed with, with called Falsetto. Oh, come on, really? William and Falsettos. So it wasn't on the docket of things to see because it was a musical sort of ahead of its time about a man dying of leaving his family just because he was gay. He met his lover. He decides to move in with his lover. He ends up contracting HIV, turns into AIDS, passes away. It's very heavy. It's very funny as well in a lot of ways. It's Mm -hmm. very emotional. It's a beautiful show. Oh, it's a beautiful show. And I had seen a clip of it on the Tony Awards. I was like, I want to see that show. But of course, it wasn't part of this trip from Albuquerque, New Mexico. That was a little too much for, you know, the blue. Right, for the ladies. That was your first time in a theater, in a Broadway That was my very first Broadway show. It's so fabulous. I'm not kidding. I go to the theater, like, a lot. Many, many nights a month, I go to the theater. And I still love it. And I have to tell you, I like hating a show. I love leaving in the middle of a show. It's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> Dinner early. What's better than that? When going home yes. and you're in bed for the Golden Girls block yes. on, on Hallmark. It's the best. Anyway, so darling, I want to talk for a minute about your breaking into show business. Did you go to Juilliard? Did you go to acting school? What happened? So after I went to that trip with the Blue Hairs, I had my first taste of New York City and I was like, I have to get back to that city. So it was just imperative that I got into New York. And so I auditioned for a few different theater programs, but only one that was actually in New York City called the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. I was, I think, too scared to audition for NYU and Juilliard. And I just felt like I wasn't ready for that. Mm -hmm. And so I chose a school that was a little cheaper and more affordable for my parents, but also in the city and seemed to have a really great track record. A lot of great people had gone there. Tyne Daly had gone there. Come on. Come on. And so I got into the American Musical and Dramatic Academy, AMDA, as as it's called. It's a two-year program. You get a certificate of completion when it's done. It's not even like a degree. So that was my training. You know what I want to talk about for a second? Because this is a really, really good thing to talk to you about, I bet. The process of rejection and auditions. Did you go on a lot of auditions at the beginning? You had to. Did you have an agent? What happened? Well, there was a showcase at my school. And so I did get an agent from that. But it's so funny. I remember his name was William Schill. And he had that. I don't know if you ever saw Lost in the Yonkers, but there was the aunt. She would talk and then she would have this like, dog. breathe in when she kept talking. It was like this weird tick she yes. had. He kind of had that thing. And I remember nice. him telling me at one point, he did think I was very talented, but one of the reasons he wanted to work with me was because he didn't have any red heads. Ah! Wow. He didn't have any red heads. So he really wanted a red hat. And so that was the reason he chose me, basically. And I, he was, you know, not a a high power agent, but he would submit me for things. And I went out for a lot of stuff. A lot of the advice I got from teachers was just get as much experience as possible. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'd give that advice now to actors because I was auditioning for things that I was just wildly inappropriate for. And frankly, I was wasting people's time. Mm -hmm. But I was going for the experience and going to like just experience auditioning and like, you know, it's a muscle. Well, what's wrong with that, darling? There's nothing wrong. I was auditioning for like one 
months on this island. Right. Things that I would never, right. <laughs> like, you know. Except, guess what? I went to performing arts high school as uh-huh. a kid. And uh-huh. literally, darling, I did like King Lear when I was like 15. I mean, if you can do that at 15, you can do any fucking thing, you know? So yeah. I'm serious. If you can audition for In the Heights or something or whatever it is that you're <laughs> completely never going to get and still stand there and do the song, right. that's some courage. And right. are you good at rejection? Are you good at people telling mm. you we're going to go a different direction, Jesse? I'm going to go now. with the other Jesse Ferguson for this. Yeah, oh my God, can you imagine? <laughs> I am really good at it now. It's so interesting because my husband, Justin, who I love, has gotten into producing. Love, of course, you love Justin. Who doesn't? He's gotten into producing. He's sort of in the showbiz business now. And he's had to deal with a lot of projects that he's shepherded sort of crumbling and falling apart. And granted, he's behind the camera right now. It's different to have rejection as an actor because like, they're literally saying, we don't want you right now. There could be lots of reasons why they don't want you. With a project that you're trying to get off the ground from a producing standpoint, it's less about you and more about the climate of the industry. Yeah. But he has had to sort of figure out how to have a thick skin. And it's not something you just develop overnight. I've spent 25 years developing it. You know, Isaac, my first show in New York was, you might have seen it. It was on the town. Uh, I did see it, darling. Excuse me? I feel like I remember meeting you. I saw it, darling. We met because I kind of knew Leah a little bit. Leah Delaria. Yeah. I was going to say that was my first big rejection. Well, not rejection, but disappointment. You know, that show ended up transferring to Broadway and then doing not great on Broadway and closing after three months. Mm -hmm. And it felt so big and so heavy. And I was so depressed. Mm-hmm. And it was just the first of so many times I was going to be disappointed. And I really learned, okay, there's always something more. It's going to take resilience. You know, being in this business is not easy. It's why people always say, if like you have anything else that you want to do, please do it. Explore that. Because it's a really hard business. And I'm really good at it now. And I just don't get excited about things until they actually are real. And um, Season two, by the way. There has to be like season two or three for me to be excited. Right. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> 100%. But it's something I've learned. And so I am good at rejection now. and Because I don't take it personally. Obviously, there's things that come across that I desperately want and they don't happen for right. me. And it's devastating. But you know, I can manage much better now than I did at 21. Well, I saw you in a play that Paul Rudnick wrote called yeah. Something Marvelous, A Marvelous Story or something like that. The Most Fabulous Story Ever Told. Where you appeared completely naked. And <laughs> let's just say that Mr. Justin Mikita has nothing to complain about. All right? <laughs> oh One. <God>. Okay. <laughs> Two, <laughs> when I think about actors or dating actors, because I've dated actors, and I'm so amazed at how these people can wait. Like, I want this to happen. Let's go. Make this work. Make it happen. And like these beautiful men that I dated are just incredible actors. They have this inner thing. I think it's about auditioning and being able to take rejection and mm. being able to wait. Did you have a long wait before you mm. got your biggest break? What's your biggest break? There's definitely tent poles in my career. On the Town was definitely a huge break for me because it right. gave me confidence. I was 21 years old and George C. Wolf, who's one of the top oh, my theater God. directors, the greatest. chose me to be in this very important production of On the Town that Betty Compton and Adolph Green were still alive for. Like, they were <sighs> part of this experience. Ugh. It was a big revival in New York City and I got to play the role that Frank Sinatra played in the movie. Like That is huge. Then I didn't really have another sort of moment 
moment until I was doing this musical in New York called the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Ironically, just for a little full circle moment, directed and written by the same people who directed and wrote Falsettos, my first Broadway show. Isn't that great? Yes. Life has given me a few of those moments. And we do love a full circle moment. We We do do. love a full circle moment. Mm -hmm. So that was a big thing for me. But, you know, in terms of great success... And being able to like not worry about money and and having doors open to me in a way that like other opportunity was coming to me in a way that I hadn't before in my career was definitely modern family. Mm-hmm. But all these things that happened before that were stepping stones to get me there. I wouldn't be anywhere without all those other things, those other opportunities along the way. Mm-hmm. Right. You said this really smart thing that made me feel better about my life. Because by the way, darling, you know I'm a performer and an actor trapped inside the body of like a fashion personality. You're right? not trapped. Oh, you were on Broadway. You I know, were I know, cabaret, like, I know, I know. But here's the thing. It's like, I always think, when am I going to be on Modern? When am I going to get my version of Modern Family? Okay. But I think you're right about this. It's like, you better find some other stuff you like to do. And I know you have a million things you like to do, which we'll talk about a little bit later. presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I kind of want to stay on this thing about failure. Can you think of something that happened to you that you thought originally was a huge setback, but then became this kind of turning point in your life that just turned things around? Well, I mean, there's obviously been lots of like musicals and plays and stuff that I desperately loved and the audiences weren't there for them or the critics weren't there for them and they kind of fizzled. But the big thing for me, and this is the thing that brought me to Los Angeles. So not only was it something that failed, but it was the catalyst for me moving across the country. When I was doing Spelling Bee, the producers and writers of the show called The Class saw me in Spelling Bee and had me audition for this sitcom that James Burroughs was directing. <gasps> James Burroughs directed Cheers and Darling. Tax, Will and Sure, Grace, sure, sure. Yes, Friends, yes, yes, you know, yes, everything. Very prolific director. And it was written by David Crane, who was one of the co-writers, mm-hmm. co-creators of Friends, and David Cleric, who was one of the co-creators of Mad About You. And so all these people were coming together to create this new show. And it was the script that every actor was desperate to audition for. Mm -hmm. And I got a role on it. And I was flown to Los Angeles to test for it. I got the part. I went to LA for the first time. It was a great cast. Lizzie Kaplan, Jason Mm -hmm. Ritter, John Bernthal, Lucy Punch, Heather Goldenharsh, fantastic company. And it was meant to be the big show of the year. Great promo, like CBS rolled it out. I kind of remember, darling. I seem to Mm -hmm. remember the class. And... James Burroughs actually flew us on the CBS private jet (gasps) to Vegas the night before it premiered because he did this for the cast of Friends and the cast of Will and Grace. He took them all out the night before the show and said, say goodbye to your anonymity. Tomorrow's going to be a different thing. The show's going to hit. It's going to be a huge hit. Your lives are going to change forever. The show was canceled after 18 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, at least you got a speedball and some hookers in L.A. the night before, you know? I mean... Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, now, so that was this thing where you... What? From I mean, I was wildly disappointed. I mean, I literally had James Burroughs, who created only hit television, telling me that my life was going to change when this show hit. Now, granted, it it did in a lot of ways because I was on television Mm -hmm. and it actually did premiere very, very well, but then the audiences were falling off. And 
the writers were sort of scrambling and restructuring the show and trying to save it. And then it turned oh, into that it wasn't. And it was heartbreaking watching this thing that was supposed <laughs> to be the show of the year just sort of crumble. Right. And I had moved my life across the country to be in this show. Just, right. it was disappointing on so many levels just because I felt like, how do you possibly get a shot bigger than this? Mm-hmm. We all know what happened afterwards. Well, we all know, <laughs> Modern Family. Right. But after, right after the class failed and was canceled, the 2008 writer strike happened. So like I was then in LA deciding to sort of stick it out and it was a hundred days of just nothing in the industry. Wow. So it was a period of my life where it was just total upheaval. Like, what am I doing? I'm trying to stick out this new life in Los Angeles because I'm already here. I like bought things. I've moved my clothes mm-hmm. over here. Like right. might as well just try it for a little while. And it was just really, really disappointing. And I thought, you know, if, if the James Bros sitcom's not going to work out, this whole TV thing might not be good for me. Like I said at the beginning of our discussion, was such a theater kid, so I was very happy to go back to New York and just do theater. But I was really bummed out that something that I was really excited about, kind of this new chapter of my life, was not working out. It was hard. And how did it turn you around? What did you get from it? Well, the writer's strike was nothing. I waited right. it out. But then the next season, there was some pilots that I was being sent out for. And it was, you know, it was helpful that I had just been on a show. People know you. Right. And I got great reviews on the show. You know, we the, we all like were praised. All the actors were praised. So, like we came out smelling great. But I ended up getting a show that I kind of felt like I had to take because I was sort of desperate for money and I didn't have a great contract on that first show I got because I didn't have any sort of quotes. So they were getting me for you know a dime. And <laughs> right. so I felt like I needed to take this other opportunity. And it was a script that I didn't love starring some people I liked. Niecy Nash was in it. Oh, Jerry O'Connell. I mean, it was great, great cast. A.B. Franco, who's James Franco's little brother. Mm-hmm. And it was actually written by Abraham Higginbotham, who is a dear friend of mine who ended up writing on Modern Family and winning like five Emmy Awards. At the time, it was his first show that he was show running and it just did not work out. It was really not good. It was the first show canceled of the season. Gosh, So I was like, ooh, I'm in a bad place right right now. I was really ready to move back to New York and just sort of call it a day. And then the next pilot season was the year that Modern Family (sighs) came out. And that script was sent to me. So I went from... The show that was the first show canceled of the season, the show was called Do Not Disturb. And then the next season, I'm on the show that wins the Emmy Award for Best Right, Comic. unbelievable. You know what's funny? I shot a pilot a million years ago with some really good people. Also, Judith Light and oh. Maria Bellos and mm-hmm. amazing people. But we shot this pilot and... I remember they had an exclusive contract. Like, they paid me anyway, even though it didn't get picked up. And they kept the right. So I think what ends up happening is they get that you're good on TV. And they're like, hmm, even though this sucked, we're going to find something for Jesse Ferguson or Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then what's so great is that you ended up playing something, not exactly close to who you are, but you played a gay person for a change. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to go back for a minute because we were talking about... On the town, right? Mm-hmm. And you and Leah, two of the biggest homosexuals I think I've ever met in my entire <laughs> life, playing, you know, the biggest straight role. She killed I Can Cook too. She yeah. killed that number. And it's about a straight lady like dating men, right? And it's hilarious yeah. to me to think that Leah Delaria is doing that tune in this revival of On the Town. And you yeah. played 
a fucking straight sailor out there horny looking for pussy, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. so was that strange? Was that fun? What was it, darling? Because today you don't really yeah. do that. You don't cast that way. How was George Wolf? First of all, Leah was cast first. He really wanted to give her that opportunity. You know, it's so funny. I think it was between Leah Delaria and Get Ready for This. I'm so Billy excited. Porter. <gasps> well, you see? You mean I like in full like, drag? I was like, maybe it's a man in drag. And so I think... I got like maybe a little nervous about that. And he was like, well, what's like a female version of like <laughs> that? Like kind of like, like a queer go, black like, man. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, it was really hilarious. and it was such a blessed experience. I mean, I guess I was playing straight. I didn't think about it too much because it was just like an opportunity for me. Like I wasn't thinking I had to butch up. I mean, you can watch this on YouTube. If you search Lee Delaria at the Rosie O'Donnell show, I Can Cook Too, there is the clip of us performing on the Rosie O'Donnell show. And let me right. tell you, Anyone with two eyes is going to be like homosexuals. <laughs> we were just having a great time. But the thing, Isaac, I remember all the reviews were saying about what great chemistry we had. You really believe that these two people adored each other. And there was energy and something crackling between the two of them. I was also a beanpole. I was maybe 125 yes. pounds. Yes. And yes. Leah was, you know, short and stout. And mm-hmm. we were just a funny pair. Yes. We looked funny together. And it just yes. worked. It reminded me a little bit of Nathan Lane and Faith Prince and Guys and Dolls. Yes. Like, it just worked. Yeah. And uh, it was all George Wolf giving us that face. But I mean, just talk to me for a minute. I did an interview a long time ago, like about two or three years ago, with this incredible ballet dancer, James Whiteside. You know James Whiteside? He's at ABC. I know the name, yeah. And yeah, he, yeah. he's a principal dancer, major, major, major star. And he talked about those years doing princes every single night of his life, you know, supposed to be kind of attracted to swans and fairies and princesses. Mm-hmm. And he said it wasn't so easy being mm-hmm. this gay person stepping into these heteronormative roles, you know? I looked into it a little bit and ended up like, there's a lot of people who disagree with this kind of casting. Like, you don't cast a straight person to play a gay part. You don't cast a gay person to play a horny sailor out on lead, you know. But for one thing, if you don't want to be a prince in ballet, like, you don't have a career, right? So for an actor, isn't it exciting to act? It's it's thrilling. I mean, I was just having this conversation with another friend of mine who's an out gay actor. And I get asked this question a lot of, you know, should gay men be playing straight parts? Should straight men be playing gay roles? It's a discussion that we're all having right now. And I think it's really important that we're having it. I am personally still working through my feelings about it. I am going to say that as an actor, I want opportunity to play people that are not just gay. I know I wouldn't take a role of a trans person. I know I wouldn't take a role of a disabled person because I feel like there Mm. are actors in those communities who are really good and they're emerging now because they are being slowly given opportunity. MJ Rodriguez is a perfect example. Ali Stoker who's won a Tony Award for Oklahoma. She's a Amazing musical theater actress. Amazing. And it's one of the great things ever. Would you do Stanley Kowalski? I'm not kidding. Would you? Um, I don't <laughs> know if I would play that role because I don't know if I feel comfortable in that. I would play like, right. Hamlet. Okay, well... I might be a little too old for that now. But I don't think Stanley is in me. I don't think anyone wants to see me playing Stanley. Playing <laughs> well, Stanley. I kind of want to see you well, playing now we all Blanche see is what I want to do. But more importantly, I saw you do Shakespeare. I forgot what play it was. It was in the park. 
I've done five in the park. Oh, and by the way, I've been to the fucking Delacorte Theater about a thousand times in my life. But for some reason, I don't know, Mercury was in retrograde that summer when you were playing. And it took me three times. I was like, Jesse, where the fuck is this theater? And I was like in the park calling your agent. I don't know if you remember this. I I feel like I do remember. Was it The (laughs) Tempest or Comedy of Errors? It was The Tempest. It was The Tempest. And I ended up finally, the third time, finding it. But is there a play whether it's Shakespeare or some classic play that you would like to do? What role do you have your eye on? Oh, gosh. It's so interesting because Take Me Out was something that was never on my radar. And then it ended up being the most profound experience of my life and giving me a Tony Award. I just feel like I'm not great at imagining things for myself. I have done a production of Midsummer Night's Dream. It was the first Shakespeare that I did in the park. I did on the town at the Delacorte Theater, but the actual first Shakespeare I did at the Delacorte Theater was A Midsummer Night's Dream. I played Francis Flute, but I would love Mm -hmm. to go back and play Bottom. I think I'm too old for Hamlet. No, you know, know, darling. Yes, come on. (laughs) If this was like the 1940s or something, you would be just starting out as Hamlet. You know, seriously. I've gotten very lucky. I've gotten to do a lot of the Shakespeare roles I've wanted to do. I did both of the Dromeos and in, in Comedy of Errors. Amazing. I got parts, which was really fun. As far as the classics, geez, I don't know. I mean, I've seen so many of them done so well. I just don't know what I would add to them. But I love working on new material, honestly, Isaac. You know, I like this thing that you're saying, because I had this conversation with the divine Alan Cumming. And he said this incredible thing to me, and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. It was so inspiring. He said, you know, I don't really strive. I don't strive. Mm. And I was like, wow, Alan. And for a minute, I was like, that's lazy. Come on, Alan, strive. And he was like, no, 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 you don't understand. If I'm striving for something, I won't see what the universe has already prepared for me. And I was like, what? And you know, he is 100% right about that. And so maybe you're right, darling. Maybe someone is out there going, I think Jesse Tyler Ferguson would be this incredible Hamlet. I'm not kidding. Maybe it is how Take Me Out happened. When I got that phone call, I was like, oh, is it for the the skipper, the coach? And like, no, it's for Mason Marzak, which is, you know, the role that Dennis O'Hare won a Tony Mm -hmm. Award for. Like, Oh, God, no. And I knew, I knew that at the time that Sean Hayes had been workshopping. I was like, no, Sean Hayes is doing that. Like, no, there's a scheduling conflict. He can't do it. Ah. So I was like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. So like, yeah, the universe totally surprised me with that one. Completely. Unbelievable. Okay, so let me ask you this, because I suffer from extreme stage fright. Do you? I always get nervous before I go out. The adrenaline seems to lift me out of that. So you don't go down this whole black hole where you're like in a room going, there's absolutely no way I can go out there. And then you just brace yourself because that's what happens to me. I literally, I'm standing there and there's a stage manager who literally has to like push me. And then, you know, I work with Liza a lot. So I learned, darling, when you enter, (laughs) unless you go like, hey, everybody, you know, they're going to eat you alive. So you have to pretend. And then the minute you get out, it's a whole other situation. All of that falls away. You don't feel that. You don't get terrible, terrible stage fright. I do not get that. I do have nightmares about that. I have terrible nightmares that I'm being asked to do. Like, it's always Shakespeare in my nightmares. Right. And I'm being asked to like, do something. I don't know the script at all. So that's a reoccurring nightmare that I have. When I was doing Take Me Out, my good friend Patrick Adams, who is in the second stage production of it, he has terrible stage fright. To the point where I think he did a play at one point that he like literally had to stop the play and like leave the stage and had to get ushered back on stage. So he really was very terrified to do this role and take me out where it was a lot of direct address to the audience, a lot of big monologues. So I was working very closely with someone who had intense stage fright every night. 
And I watched him work through it. And like, he would come off stage sometimes saying, I felt like I was having a panic attack on stage. I saw white light. I was dizzy. I can't believe I got through <laughs> yeah. that. I was like, wow, wow, I don't know what that feels like. Well, you're really, really lucky. But I don't know where I read this just recently. It said that you have imposter syndrome or something. Yes, I suffer from that. <laughs> um, what is that? Tell me about that. Just feeling like, you know, you're not gonna be good at something it's usually always something new the thing about being an actor is like every role is something new like every job you're starting from the ground up now granted i have a lot of experience and like i know what it feels like to try and develop a character but every character is a brand new thing and you're starting from scratch and i always feel like this is going to be the time that i can't figure this out this is gonna be the time where people hate what i'm doing but you know i started this podcast and they're all with people i admire very much and love very much but every time I start, I'm like, oh, God, like, I'm not going to be good at this. This is going to be the one where I don't know what to say. I'm totally blank. This person who I admire and love is going to be staring at me, wondering when the ne- next question is coming up. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's just, I feel, though, I feel like that stress and that anxiety propels me to be better, though. And now you're Jesse Tyler Ferguson. You're like a brand name. People know that you can do stuff. You know, forget about acting. We know you can act, but you can also do this other stuff. You wrote a cookbook. You're a very big personality in the food scene. But I want to go back a little bit to, like, the first table read or something of Modern Family or something. Were you very nervous that day? What did you tell yourself to get through that? Well, I mean, I was excited for that day. Mitch on Modern Family was so close to who I was. Right. And I had such great auditions. I could tell that they loved what I was doing. And the thing is, I wasn't really doing anything. I was bringing myself to it. Mm-hmm. So that always felt very natural. Playing Mitch always just felt like an extension of me. I do remember right. Eric Stone Street, however, who is Who's very different from this, so genius, very different from his character, not gay, not like him at all. I remember him at the table read just petrified because the very first table read you do for these sitcoms, especially one that has as much expectation as Modern Family Mm -hmm. did, the entire executive staff files into this big Uh, conference room. Everyone from ABC was there. Mm -hmm. Everyone from our producing company, Fox, was there. Every higher up was there. Everyone who makes the big decisions about what's on television was in that room. And we're seated at this long table. All the actors who are playing these roles for the first time are seated together. We all barely know one another. And this is a moment where oftentimes you do these table reads for these people and they say, "Hmm, you know what? That one doesn't work. And they reach out. Right. People lose their jobs after these Yes, I know. And somehow you're just excited. That's nice. I guess you're just not Jewish. You're really, you don't have a Jewish (laughs) gene in your body, darling. I was very confident about the modern family part. Yeah. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why GameBridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. GameBridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Please visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Do you like performing in front of cameras better, or do you like performing in front of an audience better? The easy short answer is definitely theater. I love doing theater. I love that intimacy with wow. an audience. I love being in charge of my performance. I love that it's mm-hmm. not being taken away by an editor and Frankenstein together into some other thing. Uh, that being said, I really enjoy the intimacy of television as well and like being able to be small and quiet right. and play a scene without the expectation of laughs and just be connected to a character. But if you're asking me like where my heart pulls me, it's always the theater. Is that right? That's so mm-hmm. sweet. I love mm-hmm. knowing that about you. Yeah. Okay. Now let's get into this for a minute because as I was saying, I was at your wedding. I don't know if you know yes, that. You were. I, I do remember. <laughs> I, I do sat remember. next to the fabulous Tony Kushner and Mark yes. Ellison. It was like, <gasps> it was such a glamorous event. And you know, I'm married too. And I often say to myself, like, darling, why the hell did you do that? You know, like, why did you get married? Like, as a gay person, you can be exempt from marriage, right? Yeah. And yet we did it. Tell me why you got married. Aside from the fact that you love Justin, which we get. Yes. Well, that is the first part. You know, I was 
of the era that really didn't feel like marriage was even an option for me. Mm-hmm. Like me too. I could have a domestic partnership. But yeah, I mean, we didn't have that. We didn't have the hope of marriage equality. I met Justin, who's 10 years younger than me, and he was literally in the trenches fighting for marriage equality. You know, he was part of the nonprofit that funded the Proposition 8 case, which was the case that took away marriage equality here in California for a few years. He was, you know, on the front lines fighting for this thing. And I was inspired by his passion. I was inspired by his drive. And so he really brought out the activists in me. And together we developed Tie the Knot, which was this foundation that was raising funds to support Mm -hmm. the marriage equality fight. So I just always felt like for me, it was something that I wanted to do because I would partly because I was fighting for it, but Mm -hmm. it just felt like it was a really important word for me. You know, my parents were married for 20 years. They didn't make it past that, but I was inspired by the sanctity of marriage and like what that meant. And for me, it was a word that I wanted to be able to embrace myself. And it was a very important word for me. Word? Um, It was an important word, you said. It was an important word. And I wanted to be recognized as a married person. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted the world to recognize Justin and I as a married couple. It was very important to me. And part of that was the word husband. And part of that was the word marriage. I love being married. And I have like a deep, deep desire to be successful at it, maybe because my parents weren't. Justin's parents have been married for 51 years, and I find them incredibly inspiring. By the and way, wait a minute, darling, asking for a friend, is it an yeah. open relationship? <laughs> me and me and Justin? <laughs> yes, you and Justin. <laughs> <laughs> no. I couldn't resist no, that. Not. I couldn't resist it. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, now we have kids. And it's I just know. Like, I, well, that's I, another thing. Can we talk about that, please? Yeah. Like, what were you thinking? What were you <laughs> thinking? We ask ourselves that, and then we spend 30 seconds with our children, and we're like, oh, yeah, they're pretty great. But it's exhausting. It's a completely, you know, jarring shift of priorities. And we always said that we wanted to have kids. And then when the actual time was to do it, it was like, wow, okay, are we going to do this? With being a gay couple, there's no, like, accident. You know, you really Mm -hmm. say, okay, now we're doing this. And you go to a lab you, have you to don't do make it. the sperm, you make wow. the embryos, you find the surrogate if you're doing it this way, or you find the adoption agency. Like you go through the steps. Yes. You do not say, like, well, let's just see what happens. Mm. So I feel like the children of same sex couples or couples that need to go through right. alternative means to, to have yes. kids are the kids that are so desired. And mm. I am so grateful that Justin and I got to do that. There was a point where we were thinking about number two and we were like, okay, we're on a fork in the road. We have one really great one. We can do another one or we can not. I'm good. Are you good? I'm good. I'm good. And we decided ultimately to do two. Um, and, you know, now we're in the thick of that. And it's like, oh, my God, have we fucked everything up? We were doing really good with one. Now we got this other one. And it's, Wow. It, but the thing is, everyone can relate to this. Everyone who has kids can relate to this. What? They, all they can relate to what? How great it is? because How great it is, but also how exhausting it is. And how you do have these moments of like, what have I done? Yeah. What have I done? Yes. Well, darling, let me tell you, we got married because it became a national law. You know, I remember when I was sitting watching television with Arnold one night, who I'd known already for 10 years, and we were like thick together as a couple and we loved each other and not an open relationship, (laughs) at least not that I know of. Okay. But (laughs) the point is that, you know, he looked at the TV and he said, darling, when that happens, we'll get married. And I was like, you got it, you know, and then it happened. And so we got married, I think only because we could. And I thought, you know, we couldn't before and I don't really believe in it. 
it, but I'm going to do it just because I got to do something. I can't know everything, right? Yeah. But the kid thing, I got to tell you, my dear, I actually, I think I'd be a fantastic parent, you but would. you have to put aside a lot of shit to be a parent. A lot right? of stuff you have to put aside, yes. Yeah. Like what? A clean house. <laughs> right. Yeah. Organization. Yes. Your free time. The ability to like pick up and like just go on a vacation. I mean, Justin and I, we traveled around so much, mm. but we also had... Eight years of being together. We were married five years. We were together three before that. So we had eight years of like sort of doing our thing. And we kind of felt like we were at another chapter. We really wanted kids. I mean, you haven't met Beckett yet, but and Sullivan, our youngest one, we're on the fence about him still. No, he's great. But like <laughs> Beckett is Beckett is an astonishingly amazing kid. Well, he's the just, name alone. I know. It's, it's, it's a well, great darling, name. let me just tell you something. We have dogs, okay? Yeah. Darling, maybe. As a father of children, you can relate a little bit to my hysteria. I used to say, before people like you started having kids, kids are the dogs of straight people. Yeah. But the point is that I think I dodged a bullet. I do. And these people are not teenagers yet, are they? They're yeah. like little kids, right? So yeah, they're still yeah, adorable. Yeah. I'm just telling you, teenagers are no, I monsters. Monsters. I know. I know. Okay? I'm a monster. Of course they yeah, are. Yeah, me too. Except... It was different in those days. When I was a kid, parenting was one. They didn't know where I was, and they sort of didn't care. I'm not kidding. Yeah. I started taking the subway when I went to high school, and I learned yeah. how to take the subway to 46th Street, and they never saw me again. And there was yeah. no inquiry, and they didn't care, and they didn't yeah. know. And I was in such mortal danger constantly. Yeah. And so maybe think about that as a father. Like, do you think you're an overprotective father? Probably just because the world is so different than it was when we were kids. I mean, I grew up in Albuquerque, and it was not the safest city, but it was like my neighborhood was fine. Like, I could be out in the evening playing with the neighborhood kids. My parents knew I was in the neighborhood, and they weren't nervous about that. I just don't know what the world we're in now I would feel comfortable saying, yeah, just go out and head home when it starts getting dark. Is it more dangerous now? Because when I was a kid, darling, in the 19, late 1970s, okay, going it's to high school. You grew up in New York, right? Yes. It yeah. was squalid. Oh, I, mean, I know, yeah. Junkies, hookers, you know, pedophiles, porn. I mean, that's all we saw. And we just yeah. like stepped over it and got to class and did yeah. our shit. And then we cut class and went to Bloomingdale's and all of my friends like shoplifted stuff from Bloomingdale's. And we went to Central yeah. Park. We smoked a little, you know, I smoked yeah. cigarettes. We smoked uh -huh. a little dope because we saw it was around us. It was so plain, you know, yeah. the dangers of stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. Honestly, I don't know how we got to this conversation, but I do want to ask you a couple of things more. I want to talk about you as a political figure. Yeah. I saw your incredible Instagram post about Spelling Bee that day. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. What was that about? So you have this musical I was in the original cast of on Broadway, the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. It's about kids in a spelling bee. And then also the trials and tribulations of being a kid and being an mm -hmm. outsider. And one of the characters, um, Logan Schwarzenegger, has two gay dads. Mm -hmm. And I played, in addition to the character of Leif Bear, one of the kids in the spelling bee, I also doubled as one of the gay dads. And it's a very kind of blue script, as they say. You know, there's some risque language. It's funny. It's an elevated comedy that sort of is great for kids, but like a lot of the stuff goes over their heads and it's like a lot of really funny stuff for the parents as well. Kind of reminds me a little bit of like The Simpsons. Like it works on several levels. So anyways, that's sort of like what the show is. And it's 
become very popular in schools. Um, and there is a children's version of the show. Like there's some stuff that's cut out for grade schoolers and high yep. schoolers. So there's this like, alternate version of the script that is available for kids. One of the things that doesn't change is that this one character has, has two, two gay, gay dads. dads. Mm-hmm. And there was a school that was doing this and uh, somehow the school board found out maybe they finally read the scripts or maybe one of the kids was talking about it at home and one of the parents was like, oh, I don't know about this. Anyway, it turns into this thing where they were going to cancel the show because of some adult material in the show. Mm. And we caught wind of it. The original cast of Spelling Bee, the original writer caught wind of it. And we sort of made a sink about it. And it became this discussion and we talked about, well, there's this alternate version of the show that can be done that has some of this stuff cut out. And it became very clear that what they were really fighting against was the gay dads. The gay dads. And so I put out something on Instagram sort of in support of the kids and, you know, saying like, what message does this send? You know, I was a closeted kid in high school. I guarantee you there's kids who are in this school in the Midwest that are closeted. And what message does this send to them? Anyway, long story short, it became a national news story. Yes, it did. And right for you. Which is really exciting. And they ended up doing it. They ended up doing the show. Beautiful. I think from pressure from the community. Did you and fly in with the whole cast? You know, I was doing Take Me Out at the time. We actually had a Zoom with the cast when they were still waiting on the decision of whether they're going to do the show or not. The entire original cast of Spelling Bee got on a oh, Zoom. Oh, that's so the great. Kids. They all came up and told us who was playing which role. Yeah, it was really... That is incredible. Oh, that's so great. And then you flew them all to Vegas. I'm kidding. That's right. We flew them all to Vegas. Your lives are going to change tomorrow. Okay, last question, Jesse Tyler yeah. Ferguson. What do you want the headline of your obit to say? Jesse Tyler Ferguson, 102, <laughs> dies in his sleep, a really easy death. Go. And he still owes Leah Delaria $1,500. <laughs> wow. Okay. I like that. All right. And is there anything you want to promote? Just this podcast that I'm starting, you're, which I hope you'll be a guest on my podcast at some point in the near future. It's called Dinners on Me. And sure I take will. friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles. I just did a few in New York when I was there. And we just have a great conversation over a great meal. It's out, a- now. Yay, it's out now. It's out now. Yeah. Well, you're amazing. I adore you. Thank you so much. And soon, I hope. Soon, soon. Yes, I hope to see you very soon. I miss you. I miss you. Mwah. Mwah. Okay, so talking to Jesse Tyler Ferguson, I think I am finally convinced that I am not going to strive and I am going to wait for the universe to sort of tap me on the shoulder and take me to the next level. You know, because I think that that's part of the power of actors and acting is just waiting around, waiting for the moment and then going for it. Anyway, I just love the guy. And hello, you heard it here. He wants me on his podcast. I want to go on his podcast because not only do you get to talk, but you get to eat and someone else pays, right? I think the thing is called Dinner's On Me. So, hey, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, Dinner's On You. Anyway, this is Isaac Mizrahi. Thank you. I love you. And I never thought I'd say this, but goodbye, Isaac. Hello, Isaac is produced by Imagine Audio, Awfully Nice, and I Am Entertainment for iHeartMedia. The series is hosted by me, Isaac Mizrahi. Hello, Isaac is produced by Robin Gelfenbein. The senior producers are Jesse Burton and John Asante. 
It is executive produced by Ron Howard, Brian Grazer, Kara Welker, and Nathan Clokey at Imagine Audio. Production management from Katie Hodges. Sound design and mixing by Cedric Wilson. Original music composed by Ben Waltzer. A special thanks to Neil Phelps and Sarah Katanak at IM Entertainment. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org.